0: Hi there and welcome to episode 61 of the t21 mom podcast. My name is Mary and I'll be your host. Each episode we'll talk about life, Down syndrome, single parenting, mamahood, and pretty much everything in between. I have a daughter named Ainsley who's eight years old and rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome, and I am living life my way. And today, Just like every week, I say it every week, my friend and co-host, Ron, is joining me here today. Hi, Ron.
1: Hi. You just say that because I keep threatening to leave. (laughs) I know. Um, How are things? We haven't spoken, like you and I haven't spoken for a while because we've both just been out of the world busy.
0: Mm -hmm. No, things are good. You know, it hasn't been the most exciting summer, but it's okay. Okay.
1: I think we've had enough excitement in the last two years to sort of like we deserve some time some quiet healthy time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we have a serious topic today
0: mm-hmm.
1: in terms mm-hmm. of content and it's something that we hear about in the news but we're not really sure like when we hear it we're horrified by it but mm-hmm. we don't really we don't really know what to do with the information and we don't really know how to support people who have gone through it. So who are we talking to today?
0: We're talking with Lindsay Strickland of Worth the Conversation. And what Worth the Conversation is about is about preventing sexual abuse in our children with Down syndrome. And it is a very serious topic, like you said, and I, but also a very important topic. And she gives some really incredible tips to help us really navigate this in our kids and even parents with typical children, I think, can definitely take away information. But, you know, some of the stats that she gave is it's really scary and I think we just really need to be educated and aware because I really believe knowledge is power.
1: Does she is, is she part of an organization or is she part of a a, a a service or 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 what is she like like in terms of her 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 uh, bona fides to bring to bring this topic up to us.
0: Well, she created worth the conversation, which is all about, you know, teaching our kids and educating ourselves on how to prevent sexual abuse in our children and her background is in that so you know she actually adopted her her son and she always knew she her son with down syndrome correct sorry and uh she always knew that she wanted to take her her background and her knowledge and expertise but wasn't quite sure how she was going to do that and then she came up with worth the conversation because our kids are worth the conversation you know they are every child is worth that conversation exactly and you know and for us parents with kids with down syndrome a lot of our children aren't verbal they won't be able to make the they can't
1: they can't express the, themselves when they get into this kind of like this yeah. or the other kind of problem but this kind of having not being able to articulate what mm-hmm. happened
0: yeah and a lot of it also overlays the episode that we did with andrea lee on sexual health because we did touch a little bit on that and and she knows andrea as well and that's how i actually got in contact with Lindsay, but I just, how important it is. Like it just, I mean, we all think about it, but you know, you don't want to think that it could happen to your child.
1: Well, there's, but, there's almost a constant living in fear.
0: Yeah. But I, I honestly, I think knowledge is power. And if you have the information, we can, you know, do the right thing and educate ourselves and, and do what's best for our kids. Because as we talk about majority of the time, it's, it's somebody you know. And 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 as we talk about our kids have a lot of different people in their lives. And and you know, and she talks about how you can protect your child and and things that you can do.
1: Okay. Well, let's go talk to Lindsay and learn stuff.
0: Yes, let's go. Today on the T21 Mum podcast, we are talking about a very serious issue in our community, sexual abuse. This is such a difficult and challenging subject, but it is so important. And today we have Lindsay Strickland of Worth the Conversation, who is going to help us navigate this journey. Welcome, Lindsay.
2: Hi, Mary. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm so glad that you were able to come on uh, to talk about this really important issue, but first, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family and about worth the conversation and how it came about. Sure. Um, so you said, Lindsay Strickland, um,
2: my, I live with my husband and four kids in Seattle. So not too far from you. No. Um, and my youngest is Benjamin and he is my son with down syndrome Mm -hmm. and we actually adopted him when he was three years old. So, so, um, he came into our family as a Kind of fully formed his own little person, you know, mm. <laughs> so we jumped, we jumped in the deep end. Um, and my professional background is in sexual assault advocacy and prevention education, so I would work with um, families and children who were um, usually uh, beginning the um, legal process. Of something tied to um, sexual victimization. So I would just be um, somebody there to support them and help them navigate the, the really daunting and confusing system. Um, so as you can imagine, you know, raising my children, I was very diligent in, um, you know, making sure they're safe, talking to them about their bodies. Mm-hmm. And then along came Ben and I knew something, it was gonna be a little different um, Ben is, um, pretty much nonverbal. He communicates, Mm -hmm. um, but he does not have clear spoken language. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just all of these things I had to think about and process and how is this going to work? So I started, um, to research, to see what was out there and really didn't find much, found some, some, some good resources about, um, puberty and relationships later, not a Mm -hmm. ton, but some stuff, right? (laughs) Um, but I really wanted to focus on equipping parents and caregivers on how to even prevent this.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so that's how worth the conversation got started. Um, and I've been so thankful the down syndrome community. Um, I mean, you know, it's such a tight knit community mm-hmm. and I'm so thankful they've really opened this inf- or welcomed this information with open bonds for sure.
0: And that's really wonderful because it is such a daunting subject really. And I think it's scary for most parents. And like you said, you, you found a need, you went out there and found that there wasn't really anything there, but that's your background. And, you know, I'm grateful for all those people like yourself who are doing things like that to help our community. Because I think I mean, I don't have a neurotypical child. But I think when you do have a neurotypical child, you don't think about those other populations, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the people who are in that population have to do that work like yourself. So thank you very much for doing
2: that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Even professionally, I knew that children with intellectual disabilities were more at risk, Mm -hmm. but um, it just wasn't something that was being talked about. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad that um, that life circumstances brought this about so that our whole community can, can be more equipped to take this on.
0: For sure. And I think I've always believed that knowledge is power. So I, I, Totally believe that. And how old? How old is your son now? Um, he's eight. He's eight. Yeah. And exactly. so, and how? How long has worth the conversation been around?
2: Oh goodness, good question. Because this last year just felt kind of a, like a black hole.
0: Well, yeah, for <laughs> everyone.
2: <laughs> um, I think it's been it's been a solid two years, but okay, um, yeah, since we started started talking more about it, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, it's been in the back of my mind for the past five years.
0: Of course. So came, since came since home. he's come home. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so wonderful. So uh, and where do you mind if I ask where you adopted him from? Um, he's he was born in China. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I know that no one really wants to think that their child could be a victim of sexual abuse, but. On your website, it states the fact that children with developmental disabilities, as you just previously mentioned, are three times more likely to be sexually abused. And now this is like a really scary statistic. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but someone had said I'd heard recently about 80% of people with disabilities have had some form of sexual abuse. I don't, I don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. I don't know, can you speak to that at all or? Yeah,
2: well, um, I. it would be interesting to know if they were talking about um, just sexual abuse or mm-hmm. um, some type of neglect or emotional abuse as well. I can certainly see if you're looking at the entire population of people with some sort of intellectual disability that um, they're at such high risk of, of yeah. all forms of abuse, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I. I mean, I thought eighty percent seemed really high, but you know, it could very well be. I don't know, but like, yeah. just three times more likely is just is scary enough. I think, and I think there are many reasons. The reasons are obvious, obviously, for for this. But can you talk about why our kids are at such high risk for sexual abuse? Like, I know you said your son, <laughs> like he, he's not very verbal, and and I know that's the case for a lot of our kids in our community, but. Can you kind of talk a bit about why, like why we need to be aware of this so much, like because of our kids are at such risk?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So there are quite a few factors at play. um, And I'll just, I'll name a few of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, each, each situation is complex. As you know, our children are all different. Um, but certainly the limited vocabulary and limited verbal skills, um, plays a huge role um, and then there's also such a reliance on caregivers mm-hmm. for their personal needs. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but my son was in diapers <clears throat> until not that long yeah. ago. And there was a chance that he might stay in diapers. You know? Um, so there's such a reliance for, um, for all of those uh, toileting needs to be met. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then along with that comes um, condition compliance. Um, and what I mean by that is our children are so used to, um, having people touch them either for physical therapy, occupational Mm. therapy, like I said, diapering longer. Um, so there is just this compliance that we teach them and we need them to comply with these things, right? They're, They're helpful. It's what they need. Um, but along with that just, uh, does come, um, they're just used to, to adults touching them in, mm-hmm. in private areas. Um, and then there's also a general lack of education about their bodies. Um, they might, our children stay a little bit younger, a little bit longer, and it might not even dawn on us, um, to talk to them about their bodies and to give them that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, uh, maybe we're not teaching them, um, personal boundaries in Mm -hmm. the same way that we might teach other kids. Yeah. Um, and I've found, and I've talking to other parents, um, it seems consistent that there's sort of this general expectation out there in the world that, um, our children are these joyful little angels who are just (laughs) going to give everybody a hug, you know? Yeah. (laughs) and a lot of times I mean that they do have so much joy to give and um I have found myself somebody asking my son for a hug and um me thinking oh sure give him a hug but having to really catch that um so Mm -hmm. there so I think the lack of um personal boundaries and that lack of expectation and then um they're exposed to, like I mentioned, the condition compliance and lots of adults exposed to so many caregivers. Mm -hmm. And, um, this comes along with, um, in school as well, being Mm -hmm. uh, more frequent separation from their peers and, um, likely to be in one-on-one situations with adults more often than other children might be.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: and then also this isn't the same for everybody, but, um, just there can be such a strong desire for attention and that, uh, could lead to some ease manipulation as well. So that's, that's a very general overview, mm-hmm. but, um, just a few of the main characteristics that really stand out in, in, uh,
0: of course, yes. Yeah, so, and I know when you mentioned about the toileting, like Ainsley's, you know, she, she's, toilet train but still needs assistance but Mm -hmm. at one point her sort of uh I guess one-on-one at daycare was a male you know a younger guy and Mm -hmm. he is the one who said he was not comfortable you know because yeah deal and and I thought that was and I because like I wasn't overly comfortable with it like there was a few different people in the daycare like it wasn't always just him but he expressed that he wasn't comfortable you know being in the bathroom with Ainsley because, you know, she's not like a, a younger kid. Like, I can't remember how old she right. was. At the time. She might've been like right. six or so at the time. I can't remember, but you know, she wasn't like two or three. So yeah, I totally understand that. And, and you know, where then there has to be something put in place that, that it's only females that would take her or assist her in the sure. bathroom. Cause you, yeah. you know, one for Ainsley's safety, but also for the caregiver where they weren't, they were kind of being, they felt kind of were not in a comfortable situation, which I thought yeah. was very good of them to to say that, you know, to express that because
2: Yeah, that's that's great that he spoke up. You yeah. know, and um yeah, because the caregivers should feel comfortable as well. And that's great mm-hmm. that he spoke
0: up. Yeah. 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 And and like what you said, that there's so many people involved with our kids. Like physical therapist ot like you know with all the touching and also how you said about uh, the hugging because i mean pre-covid obviously but all the kids would come up the girls not really the boys but all the girls would come up because they wanted to give ainsley a hug in the morning and you know and thinking but are you doing that with other kids like are you doing that with the other girls in the class or is it just ainsley you know, and again, it's that boundaries. And granted, they were only grade two, but still, like, you know. And I could see sometimes that she didn't really want to do it. But you know, mm-hmm. like, there's that the situations where you you feel like okay, just give them a hug; they're your friend. But sometimes you just don't feel like doing that, and and that's your right.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's such. A, I mean, there's no exact right or wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. It's such a nuanced issue.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: like you said, it comes down to um, what does our child want, you mm-hmm. know, and if they're not wanting to give a hug, they have the right to, to not give a hug. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and letting I think, them ha- have that ownership over their bodies is ex- so important.
0: Exactly. That's what I was just going to say, because that's teaching them that they have their boundaries of mm-hmm. that. This is my personal space and, you know, I don't want you in it or or what have you. So, yeah. And I think that's good advice for like all the parents out there. Cause we, of course we want our kids to be liked and have friends and to be friendly. But if the child, if your child's not comfortable with that, then that that's their prerogative. That's their right to say, yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't have to, you know, give a hug or a kiss or whatever. So yeah. Cause you wouldn't ask that of a typical kid either. So yeah, absolutely. Don't think, don't think it needs to be different.
2: Right. And then when they realize that They realize they don't have to accept affection, then it's also easier for them when somebody puts up a boundary for them, then they can stop as well. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it has benefits both directions for
0: sure. That's, yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, and I hadn't really thought about it, but I again was reading on your website, but there's like quite a range of what is actually considered sexual abuse. Can you elaborate a little bit on what this is? As I, I think it's really important for our listeners to know, like I hadn't, I mean, I understand it when I was reading it, but I guess I hadn't really thought about it in, in like, I, I guess I always just think of it as being more just physical, but it's not.
2: Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Cause that's a really important thing to clarify. So sexual abuse, um, is really so much about a power dynamic. And it is any type of sexual contact that happens between an adult and a child or even another child with a child, a child who has um, some sort of perceived power or authority. Mm -hmm. Um, So this can be anything from um, exposing the child to um, pornographic material, um, touching a child, not necessarily in their private parts, but on another part of their body in a sexual way that is intended, um, has a sexual intent behind it. Right. Um, and oftentimes that's actually the first step in, in desensitizing the child um, mm. to the touch. And so our minds often think to, um, like you said, jump to something physical, um, but it it can be showing a child material, talking to to a child in a sexual manner. And then of course, um, there's also fondling, which can be Mm -hmm. outside of the clothes or direct contact with a child's body. Um, And then all the way to rape, which is so uncomfortable to talk about, Mm -hmm. Um, but important to acknowledge that this is something that happens it's, it's uh, less common than the other types of sexual abuse. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, so it's important to be aware and of all of the, the various aspects of it. So thank you for, for clarifying that.
0: And so, and just to clarify, so rape is actually happens less than the other types of sexual abuse is, did I understand that correctly? Sure. That would be,
2: I think a lot of people think of that as what we're talking about when we talk about sexual abuse.
0: Yes, exactly. I agree. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's important to understand that, um, any type of sexual contact with a child, um, again, whether that be showing them material Mm -hmm. touching their genitals having them touch an adult's genitals Mm -hmm. um or even just exposing them to genitals um would would fall under that category
0: okay and i guess a lot of that like what you were talking about a little bit during that is grooming like you know getting them like sort of almost desensitized like if they're with the you know and that it progresses with would, would that be correct
2: oh sure so let's see you had you uh, brought up grooming and the process of desensitizing the child mm-hmm. right is that where we were yeah um yeah so again like we said that oftentimes people's mind goes straight to rape it often goes straight to thinking about a stranger being the mm-hmm. perpetrator yeah of this um but the majority of the time in fact i think there are some statistics that show up to 99% of the time it's somebody that the family already knows and already trusts um and that person will um gain access to your child through through manipulation through what they call grooming
0: mm-hmm.
2: and um that is the process of desensitizing the family and the child Um, little by little to try to gain access to the child, Mm -hmm. um, really earning the trust. Oftentimes perpetrators are really charismatic individuals Mm -hmm. who are well loved in the community and people who um, have very intentionally worked um, to gain this status um, in order to gain access to children. And they will often, you know, really look for a family's need or look for a child's need and try to meet that Mm -hmm. and be somebody who the family may come to rely upon um, in order to gain some isolated access to the child. Um, And that's sort of the bigger picture. And I think what you were talking about is, um, is the individual really testing the child to find out, what they can get away with and um and this is where teaching our children about their bodies um is so important and then understanding privacy and boundaries um because then if they are in a situation where they're being groomed or desensitized a little red flag can maybe go off a little bit sooner
0: you know Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. um so that's where it is really important to understand that um, it is trusted individuals and um and that it is all about getting the child in a isolated situation where they um, can keep a secret
0: and also i thought it was really interesting that you said not only desensitizing the child but the family Mm -hmm. and that's I thought that was very interesting and that is I hadn't thought of it like that but that is so true and if that is correct like 99% like that's really mind-blowing that's really scary because it's somebody you know like it's not the boogeyman right it's right right yeah it is yeah it's someone you know that you trust and you know and I guess I mean for me and I, I would think for I'm sure all of our, you know, Down syndrome community, that's what's so scary is because we entrust our child to so many different people. And, you know, but I think like what we're talking about today that, you know, again, like knowledge is power that you can, you know, nothing's a hundred percent foolproof, but you can be prepared and you can help um, prevent as best you can Yes. something like this yeah. happening to your child. So,
2: And, and like you said, we, we need our team, right? I mean, we yeah. cannot do this parenting gig <laughs> without our other supportive caregivers in our life. And so that's why talking about it is so important because there might be um, somebody else in our child's life who might see a red flag mm-hmm. uh, before we do and yeah. something that they can bring to our attention. So it really is all about... Um, creating a network of safe adults. Yes. Where, as I know, when I'm saying that, it sounds like, can I trust anybody? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah I know. Right. <laughs> what? But talking about it is, is you know, the first step in creating that na- network of safety adults, uh, safe adults, um, because we're not always
0: there. So, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I recently had Andrea Lee from the DSRF on, and we talked all about sexual health, and actually she's the one who told me about you. And she also shared some information that when I first heard it really kind of terrified me, that, and you sort of touched a little bit on it, that perpetrators often target their victims who can't name their body parts correctly. And can you talk a little bit about this and obviously why I think it's important? Yeah,
2: yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I love Andrea. I'm so glad for the work she's doing. And I yeah. I, I want to get together with her in person someday. I, I have a lot to learn from her. Oh,
0: awesome. Um,
2: so there can be, depending on how we grew up and depending what our own families were like, um, there can be so much shame about talking about our body parts
1: mm-hmm. and
2: really, you know, a penis and a vagina, they're just another part of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be so uncomfortable to say out loud. So I, um, really encourage parents to first start with themselves and get comfortable with that and think through, okay, how was I raised? Um, there might be different cutesy names that people are raised calling their genitals. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so important to use, um, anatomically correct terms. Um, not only does it Provide your child with knowledge, even if they can't say it, right? My mm-hmm. son, I don't know that he will ever be able to articulate that, but he, just when you ask him, where's your nose, where's your elbow, he can point um, to all of his body parts. That's great. Um, so it reduces shame, it provides mm-hmm. knowledge. And then also, um, if there were to be a situation of abuse, um, it it provides um, investigators and interviewers um, with accurate knowledge, with accurate information from the child.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so it really does help in prosecution and it, it does help with ending abuse, um, just for our children to know, to know about their bodies. Mm-hmm. So it seems so simple, um, but it is one of those things that feels taboo to so many people.
0: Yeah, I know, which is, it's kind of crazy. And, and when Andrea Lee talked about it, like, it it changed for me like that. So I made sure mm. now that I, and, and as we talked about in that episode, it's like, when you're talking about sexual health, and so on, it's, it doesn't have to be the one, just one conversation, which is what many of us got growing <laughs> up, but she said it can be a thousand conversations. And it's just, mm-hmm. and again, all, like you said, using the correct names for body parts, like that, could, that's one conversation mm-hmm. and you know, that they, yeah. Cause it just makes me realize like, because the example that she used was like, she had heard of, I think one family uh, I guess the girls um, genitals was called my cookie.
1: And so mm -hmm. someone's
0: touched my cookie can mean a lot of different things. So, and you wouldn't know that it's something bad has happened if she's telling you that. So, and I thought, yeah, that like, it was like a light bulb moment for me when I heard that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Uh, And another tip, and we talked about this before we um, started recording is, Uh, My brother, he is a social worker and he he works with children who have been sexually abused and and, you know, his kids are grown up now. But the one thing he has always said, you don't use the word secret, like you don't there's no secrets. It's called a surprise. And and I know you talk a lot about that on your Facebook and Instagram and your website. So, you know, why is this so important
2: Yes, I'm always preaching about (laughs) secrets versus surprises. Yeah. yeah. So again, this is one of those simple things that um, oftentimes people don't think about. Um, It seems like such an innocent thing asking a child to keep a secret. Um, But this is something that um, abusers use. This is Mm -hmm. the most important thing that abusers use is... Uh, manipulating a child um, and having them keep this secret. So, um, in our family, we don't do secrets. We do surprises because mm-hmm. really, there's never a good reason to have a secret. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we use the distinction between a secret um, can make you feel yucky, can make you feel sad, it's information that you don't need to hold by yourself. Um, And a surprise is something that will make somebody feel happy. Um, And so, um, and and also just, you know, such a basic relationship thing. I have um, a 10 year old and 12 year old girls. (laughs) And just even that whole little secret thing that gets going, it's it's hurtful. Um, And so making that distinction between um, secrets can hurt people, but surprises will make, make them feel happy Mm-hmm. Um, it really clicks for kids. They really get it. And it can um it just creates a, a culture in a family with of open communication.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: so again, it's such a small little tweak to mm-hmm. our vocabulary, but it really does make such a difference.
0: Yes, one hundred percent. I totally agree. So, I mean, as parents and caregivers, like this can feel so overwhelming. I mean, there's, like you said, little tweaks here and there, but where, where do we start? Sure. Um, Well, and this
2: is where I want parents to feel empowered with practical, practical ideas. And, um, and like you said, it's not, it's not a one-time conversation, especially our kids with down syndrome need repetition. I mean, consistency is the name of the game.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> so, um, you know, we already, we already talked about body awareness mm-hmm. and um, teaching kids the correct vocabulary for their private parts, um, teaching them about privacy. Um, and every family has a different culture surrounding this. But ultimately, um, teaching them the difference between private and public is going to help them, (laughs) you know, grow up with healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you can start by talking to kids about um, private areas of their body or where their underwear or their baby suits cover um, Mm -hmm. is a simple way of doing that. Um, And also um, we talked about kids needing help with toileting longer. Um, When, you know, giving them information about who's gonna be helping them that day. You know, mommy's leaving, so and so is the person who's gonna help wipe your bottom today. Um, okay. Little things like that that might, it might sink in, it might not, but with repetition and consistency, they'll learn that, you know, mom or dad tells me who's gonna help me with my body today. And then if, if uh, something happens out of the ordinary, you know, maybe it'll send off a little red flag in their mind. Okay. So just this consistent, consistently giving your child information. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I think again, yeah. To empower ourselves and to empower our children. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that just kind of becomes habit, mm-hmm. you know, at first it might feel a little awkward and then, it, and then it just becomes habit.
0: Yes. That's what I've learned in this downstream journey. Yeah. <laughs> Oh (laughs) yeah. I mean, we've sort of touched on it a bit, but like what are some of the risk factors to our kids? I mean, obviously you may maybe lack of communication, the number of sort of people involved in their lives where they, they might be in their one-on-one situations, but are there some other risk factors to our kids?
2: Um, One of them that I find that um, we have to work really hard on with my son and I know i've talked to other parents who are in the same boat is boundaries and just a total lack (laughs) of understanding personal space um and other people's boundaries and so when um our children don't have a sense that their body is private and personal and having those natural boundaries we just have to work so hard at that um and so one thing you can do is, you know, let your child's um, teachers or caregivers know that within age appropriate boundaries, I mean, if you have a two year old, it's one thing, but if we're talking to school age child, they need to sit in their own space, they need to keep their hands to themselves, need to respect others. Um, and I know these are behavioral things that we're all working on probably mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. <laughs> but, um, just, you know, pat yourself on the back when you are working on those things, because that does play a role in their safety as well. Okay. Um, For sure. Yeah. And then, and then, um, you know, we talked about understanding perpetrators and understanding the type of people who abuse. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is probably the number one thing I would say is understanding that and, um, and that will really help you, um, to see if there is somebody who is really singling your child out, treating them, um, you know, even somebody who singles your child out in a way that they're giving them gifts, giving them more affection, trying to, um, trying to earn that, their affection that just seems a little bit odd or doesn't sit right in your gut. Okay. Um, don't, you don't have to second guess that, you know? Um, just be, if you feel uncomfortable with somebody, go with your gut, um, you're, al- you're allowed to say, you know, this, this is not a person who's ever gonna be on a, in a one-on-one situation with your child.
0: Yeah, and I think as parents, we, ha- we have to remember we have that right to say yeah. that, yeah.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just because you go with your gut, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily accusing them of something. But why not just, just go with the safe choice, you know,
0: better to err on the side of caution for sure. Absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, no one really wants to think that this could possibly happen to their child, but what can we do? I mean, we've talked quite a bit about it, but best protect our kids. Like I know you have seven prevention strategies and we've talked a bit about some of them. Do you want Mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about them?
2: Sure. I think we've hit a few of them. Let's see. Um, Well, let's see. One thing that we haven't specifically done yet is um, reducing opportunity. So minimizing one-on-one situations.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, We talked about maybe your gut is going off about a particular person, but just in general, um, it's really important to reduce one-on-one situations and know that you are allowed to put an open door policy in place with everybody who's with your child Mm -hmm. um and and really this is about um creating a team for your child and if there is somebody who is upset by this they don't want to be a team player then you know, it's time to look elsewhere, you know, and think through why, why does this bother them that, Mm. um, that they don't want the parent involved. Um, and, and then also asking questions. So, um, finding out what it was they did during their speech session or who the, you know, what they did, what was happening in daycare with the babysitter. Um, And, you know, I say this not to add, because I don't know about you, but I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) I say this not to add. (laughs) I say this not to add like more to our plates, but again, just the general habit of of people knowing that we're curious and Mm -hmm. that we're gonna ask questions, you know? And then along the same lines with minimizing one-on-one would be asking about policies. And um, this can be a hard one, even for me, who is so used to talking about this kind of stuff, but it can feel uncomfortable to ask a school or ask a camp what their policies are. Mm -hmm. And depending on um, who you're talking to, you know, you don't know what your reaction might be from that, Um, but it asking what safety protocols are in place um, for the one-on-one situations or um, what are the bathroom policies. Um, I have found that if an organization doesn't have something in place, then they'll quickly realize the benefits of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So just know that if um, even if you do have a few minutes of an awkward uh, situation that you're laying the foundation for all kids to, to be safe. Um,
0: yeah. Not just your child, but all the kids coming after them or that yeah. are there now. Yeah. Yeah. Now night, I think, yeah. and that in itself is empowering, I think. And I know we've talked a bit about it, you know, cause a lot of our kids their communication is a challenge. And like you said, your son, he, he doesn't have a lot of like verbal communication. So how do we, get them to communicate. I mean, I guess knowing about the the body parts and so on, but Mm -hmm. like, how do we handle this with, because that like one, that's one reason why they're a target because Mm -hmm. of the lack of communication or verbal communication, but how would we be able to handle this with, with limited communication with the kids?
2: Sure. Sure. So if our greatest fear that we suspect abuse is that yeah. yeah um well a lot some of this might come out you might see some of this in some behavioral changes so Okay. maybe an abrupt behavioral change with a child um who used to be outgoing um love going places maybe has suddenly shut down and you can't find another reason for it okay um or um i i mean i feel like that's a, a I think those behavioral cues are so important. Um, and then there are some physical signs as well. Um, if there are rashes or if your child's acting differently when you're wiping them or cleaning them, um, that might be a small indicator. Now, neither of these things alone, you know, are Mm -hmm. are 100%, but I think this is where, um, The importance of communication with your child's team is so important because, you know, hopefully there can be somebody there who, who, um, can alert you if you suspect something, but if you do suspect something, um, the pediatrician is a great resource. Um, a lot of people might not know this, but if you are near a children's hospital or have regular care at a children's hospital, there is, um, there's a child abuse team mm-hmm. um, who, who the pediatrician could consult with and ask some questions. Um, so, and, and there's also um, a national network of organizations called Child Advocacy Centers Okay, and they have wonderful people there. Yeah, wonderful people there who would um, be able to talk you through any suspicions. Um, but if you but if you do suspect something, um, it's so important to um, go straight to the professionals.
0: Yes, I was. That was one and of my next questions. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't feel like you have to know one hundred percent. You don't even have to know. just a suspicion is enough. And um, getting somebody involved who can um, walk you through it and, um, and get you connected with the help that you need is so important.
0: Yes, I uh, totally agree. Like, it, it can just be a suspicion. So I think it's better to be cautious than than to not be because you don't want something worse to happen. Worst case scenario is you just you know, it gets checked out or what have you, and hopefully it's nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's, it's important to get, I think, you know, you've touched on a lot of like what to look for. Don't. And I think also as parents don't second guess ourselves. Like if you think Mm -hmm. if there's a suspicion, you know, to act on it and, you know, because I think it's better to find out early than, like way down the road, because then it could be just so much worse. And, you know, I like, and as I said previously, I I, like knowledge is power. Like I I really think one of the biggest preventative measures is to be knowledgeable, like about what sexual abuse is and who is doing it, you know, but also, you know, I think what's equally important is like, again, who is involved with your child because you said most likely is going to be somebody that you already know and who's involved with your child. And, and I know that can be really scary for parents, but like you said, having an open door policy and asking those questions, you know, and I think if the people involved with your child, they know that you're involved, you're involved as well, then I think it's less likely that abuse is going to happen. You know, I, I so often think that it's, yeah, when children don't have like someone actively involved, not necessarily a child with Down syndrome, but, you know, lots of children out there who are abused, you know, that are typical is often because they don't have an adult in their corner or someone who's really actively involved in their, in their life. And so that's makes them like easy targets, easy access, which is terrible, but yeah. And you know, like, are there, because of our kids, like, you know, because of how they communicate often it's through a device and, and, you know, we use a lot of like pictures and things like that, but are there some books or social stories out there that can help us parents navigate this sort of often complex and tricky subject?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one book that I really like is called um, The Exceptional Children's Guide to Touch. Okay. And I believe it was written um, for children on the spectrum in mind. Um, But but because of that, it has such a clear, direct language. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as age range with, as my son's grown, we've sort of tailored, you know, how we read it with him. Mm -hmm. but I, I think it really gives parents, um, a good grasp of how to talk about, about this in a, you know, matter of fact way. Mm -hmm. And then, um, Terry Cowenhoven is a great resource, which I know, I think you discussed with Andrea Lee.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, yeah. So Terry's books are really wonderful resources. Um, and then there, there are a few more books on my website that, um, are aimed at children like preschool through elementary age. Okay. That, um, that are a really great starting point. And then you can kind of tailor it, um, to how, you know, how your child may or may not attend to a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm hoping to, um, have some downloadable PDFs before too long okay. that, um, will just help a parent talk through, um, a child, you know, these are where our private parts are, maybe some little paper dolls or something, I have, mm-hmm. I have a few little things in the works, but, um, getting them out there is what takes longer. Right. <laughs> of course.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's always so, work.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. So you will find some resources on the website. It's worth the conversation.com.
0: And yeah, we'll definitely put links in our show notes for sure. So that people right. can easily access you. Is there anything else that you would like to add or that maybe I missed that you would like to share?
2: You did such a good job. um, Thank you. Asking (laughs) asking all the questions. I know this is not an easy topic to discuss. Um, I think the main thing that I would want to leave people with is that um, I really genuinely feel, um, despite the fact that our children do have a three times greater risk than the general population. I really feel like the down syndrome community can completely eradicate this issue. I think that we, um, are so in tune to our kids. Mm -hmm. I think that we're such a tight knit community Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and are able to get the word out, you Mm -hmm. know, and we're having tough conversations like, Other parents aren't having to have these hard conversations um, that we're having already. Um, And so I really, really um, just want to leave people with not feeling anxious or um, overwhelmed by this information, but Mm -hmm. knowing that um, when we have this information, when we talk about it with each other, I just, I really, really think that this is something that we can change.
0: Wow. That's so fantastic to hear. Like that makes me really happy to hear that, that you think that it is possible that, you know, we can eradicate this in, in our community. And, and, you know, and again, it's just like, it's like having this conversation, like you said, worth the conversation, our kids are worth it. Our kids are worth to having this conversation and, and asking the tough questions and, and, Finding the information, you know, and which is one of the reasons, like, I wanted to have you on is so that, you know, because we have listeners like all over the world, Mm. and, you know, that this will benefit everyone who's listening who has a child with Down syndrome or even not a child with Down syndrome. Anyone can benefit from this information, but just because our kids are, you know, like you said, three times more likely. But hopefully, with people like you doing what you're doing, with worth the conversation, that we can. You know, eradicate this from our community because I think that would be every parent's wish absolutely absolutely
2: yeah. and and my natural inclination is not toward optimism <laughs> it 's toward <laughs> realism, <Yeah. laughs> so I just say that 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 i I really believe that it 's not uh, not just a pie in the sky dream, but I really genuinely believe that that it's something that we can change
0: that's i you know I think that is just really fantastic to hear. And it, yeah, I think it's amazing and, you know, what you're doing. And like, so people can find you at worththeconversation.com?
2: Yes. And same um, same on Instagram, Worth the Conversation and um, on Facebook. Mostly active on, more active on Instagram than mm-hmm. on Facebook, but okay. um, but it's, it's there too.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And I noticed when I went to both of them, like, especially on Instagram, you've got like lots of tips and things like things for people to think about. So I thought that was great. Like quick, easy access. So for parents. So that's awesome.
2: Great. Great. Well, I mean, thank you for having me on because this is how we get the word out. You know? yeah. So thank you for, for doing a podcast. I know that's not an easy endeavor <laughs> <laughs> and, and helping all of us parents uh, getting all this information out to us.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. And I, yes, I really do appreciate you coming on today and, and talking about what can be a difficult topic for a lot of parents, but at the same time, a very important uh, conversation, a very important topic that we need to have with our kids. Thank you so much. You're welcome.
1: Thanks, Lindsay. Mary, so there's a lot of unfortunate information in there, but a lot of really great information as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. I agree 100%.
1: And I'm really thankful that there are people out there who can bring the frankness of the topic to our listeners.
0: Yes, because, you know, before her, there really wasn't anything, you know, because we're like a small community, but I think the Down syndrome community is powerful in what they can do. Like I have Been fortunate that I've been able to talk to so many different people in our community from all over and people with so many different skills and talents. You know, that we can bring those skills and talents together to improve our community, to help improve our kids' lives, and in Lindsay's case, help to keep our kids safe. Nobody wants to think that their child, typical or not, could be a victim of some form of sexual abuse it's really scary and it's really daunting but when you're dealing with a child that maybe isn't very verbal and cannot articulate like you said that something has happened to them it's just so important to know what to look out for and what you can do about it
1: okay so uh thanks again to lindsay for coming forth and uh, having this Mm -hmm. conversation with us and where are we going next time something totally like 180 degrees away Different. from, well, away from the topic that we've done today.
0: Yeah, this one was pretty heavy for sure. But like I said, a really important one. Uh, but next week we are going to talk to the woman who created Paper Dolls Photography. And
1: Ooh, something down I, my really,
0: <laughs> I really love her story. She's another single mom. And I mean, for different reasons, but she'll share that. And, you know, and I, I love her story because it shows, even when you're really down and in the trenches, you can do it and things can turn out fabulous and amazing. And she's created this amazing photography business, I guess, you know, that primarily photographs people with disabilities and mostly who have Down syndrome. And she does beautiful pictures. They truly are amazing. So I'm really excited to share her story and I'm sure our, our listeners will really enjoy it as well.
1: Okay. We'll look forward to that. And let's walk our way out of this one very quietly.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to the T 21 Mum podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at info at T 21 mom.com, or find me on Facebook, and I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at Trisomy21Mama. Tell me your stories, what's going on in your life, what's important to you. It would also mean a lot if you would subscribe and leave a review so we could become more searchable for others in the Down Center community. Keep on loving on your and kiddos, and we will see you next time.
1: See you, Mary. Take care.
0: Bye, Ron.